This morning, if you notice, I'm getting a lot better about the afternoon morning thing. I'm getting, I'm getting better, getting better, getting better. Um, let's go to Acts chapter 6 today. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6. Uh, we continue on in what I call the bridge book. It's uh, a book of firsts in the sense of the church, but it also ties together the Gospels and the epistles of Paul and the other writings of, of the New Testament. It's an, it's an essential book because it gives us um, understanding of how the church began. There's a lot of firsts. We're going to find another first. Well, we'll probably, probably find several more today. Uh, literally, we're going, to be ex- we're going to be exposed to or being introduced to who would have been the first martyr. This is the first one. We're not going to any, we won't even, it's like two chapters long, if you will. It's, it's a really big section. But it introduces us by having a, first of all, a passion, I'm sorry, a problem that was a distraction amongst the church, which was solved integrally, by, integrally by the, the, the apostles. And incidentally, of the fixing of the problem, someone has risen, a guy by the name of Stephen, and he's a cool guy. I mean, it's amazing that the sense of power of this man being filled. But he becomes literally the pinch point or the bridge that ties together, if you will, Peter and James and John, those, those, those apostles. And somehow, remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. It wasn't just teaching and preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. It was literally to the entire world of which we're part of that extension. And we're actually carrying that on today. I, I always find it interesting when we have outreaches. Uh, I've lost the, who, who are the folks who are here? Uh, Trent, not Transworld Radio. Yeah, they're, they're with uh, Wycliffe. So you have Bible translation, you have radio. All of the, those ministries are very important to me. Because it's part of continuing on what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, it's interesting. If you haven't thought of it, the disciples probably haven't either. But the I should say apostles. We, the disciples are a word we're going to use today. And a disciple in the day and age in which that was given is a learner. Okay, a learner. The apostles were those 12 disciples minus one, Judas Iscariot, plus one, Matthias. So the 12 are back together. And they were given that shall we say that mandate, but how are they going to go beyond Jerusalem? So far, this gospel really has been poof, right in Jerusalem. Stephen is the one that's the bridge that goes from the apostles to Paul, Paul being that bearer to the Gentiles. Uh, if it were not for Paul, whose name is Saul, you'll be introduced to him in the next couple of weeks, but it's Stephen is literally the linchpin or the bridge that guides the gospel from Jerusalem to the rest of the world being the first martyr. So it's a fascinating passage of scripture. So let's begin now in Acts chapter 6, we'll begin verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the high priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. 
Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father... We're here this morning because you've allowed it to happen. Father, we can't marvel and rave enough about the creation that you've, that you've let us be a part of. A beautiful, beautiful part of the country, Father, that you spoke into existence. Uh, miraculous things that only you in your sovereignty are able to do. Before there was this, before there was time, before there was anything. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, it says that you chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. The love that you have, have, have given is beyond words. I'm, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded by the magnificence of it. But we're here, Father, because of that love. We're here because Jesus Christ, in fact, did come at, in the fullness of times, as it says in Galatians 4.4. He died. He gave himself for a redemption for my sin, for everyone's sin would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You would that all would come to repentance, as it says in your word as well, Father. You've applied enough grace for everyone that would come to you. Father, the words that we've read now out of the the book of Acts, uh, the book that you magnificently gave to Luke, one of those disciples. He wrote the, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Father, but he also gave us the bridge work, which ties things together. We would ask that these were to be used the word of truth would be used exclusively by the Holy Spirit to teach us today, to bring us to a level of closeness that we've not encountered before, seeing you close up that we've not ever been before because of the work of the Spirit, because of the work of the Word. Father, change us too. We're here because we need to be changed. We need to be full of the Spirit. We need to be dominated by the Spirit. Father, you know how to do that. You know how each one of us are personally susceptible, Father, to things that are around us. But we ask that, Father, you would take us on our steps of our life's journey and move us and make us to look a lot more like Jesus in these coming days and months that are before us, that you would be glorified and that we would be blessed because of the grace that you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for what you'll do these moments now. We rest in you with assurance that you are God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 6 has been a lot of things that have taken place. Um, Jesus has left, chapter 1. Um, I think just we, we spoke of Romans, I'm sorry, not Romans, Acts chapter 1. Eight. Let's go there and read that verse um, because there's a lot of things that are tied into that one that fits for us as well. Um, it was posed off of a question. The disciples had asked if this was going to be the time of the kingdom. It's, it's been on their minds and hearts. Uh, the, the whole, in fact, it's, it's on a Jewish mind, honestly. Is, this, is the kingdom going to come? And he replied in verse 7 of chapter 1, It is not for you to know the times nor the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power 
After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Well, they're doing a really good job in the first part of verse 8. This church is, it is bang up growing. It is going bonkers. It's amazing. You can't, you can't even keep up. If you were the person that was going to keep track of, shall we say, the roles of Christians, you know, the, 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 the role, roll call or whatever, you wouldn't be able to keep up. It's amazing. The first time Peter opens his mouth and spreads the gospel that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah, the one that you killed. He's, now, again, the, the message went, first of all, to Jews. The church began in Jerusalem. And that's pretty cool. I, again, I just, it's magnificent to me to see God's grace just unpacked. Now, wait a minute. Just outside of those, I, I, do you see, I, just, I have to have that picture up there, Laramie, that, that it's so cool because I can just bounce right off of it, the temple area in Jerusalem, because not very far, just over to the east of that, literally, they had Jesus hanging on a cross two months before. And what does he start the church? Right there, downtown Templehood, right? It's like in enemy territory. And he's wide open. Isn't that just like God? I mean, I would give up on America a while ago, right? We've thrown him out of, out of schools. We've thrown everything that he is about out of our nation. We blame him for everything. We give him credit for nothing. That's good. And he still compassionately says, Jesus Christ is the answer for your sin problem. And sin is the greatest problem in the world. At any rate... They have utilized Solomon's uh, portico, or, the, or Solomon's porch. It's the last remaining parcel of Solomon's temple from originally when Solomon built it, just after David, his father, King David, who God did not allow to build the temple. But Solomon, he assembled all of these, these, these materials to build that. Well, Solomon's temple, this would have been the very last part of it left. There's nothing left. It had been destroyed. And this temple, which Herod had put together, which was more of a a bribe because he wanted to be king, and he was not qualified to be king. He was an Edomite. He had no right to the throne of the, of the, of the King David's line. And so he magnificently used Roman funds, and, and he was always kind of running an in-between gamut, being safe for the political allies, and as well kind of putting out the olive leaf to the Israelis, to the Jews, so that he could stay in, in a, a place of hierarchy. Well, this is, that's the last part left, but it was also a very outer part of the whole temple area. Uh, the the, the goody good, goods would have went into the inner part of that, okay? Um, but this is a message that was to all. Even though it was started in Jerusalem, you will find today there were seven men. We'll be getting to, uh, I'm not going to go there right now. At any rate, there's something that is, it's, it's more magnificent than just to the Jews. It started there, but we can see this thing expanding literally through the Gentile world within Jerusalem particularly in what we would call those Jewish pilgrims. That ties in beautifully today because the whole problem, this whole dissension that's come up, this distraction, that's the word I'm trying to use. And what's amazing within churches, every church has problems, right? They all have problems. I like to call them distractions. It's just like Antichrist. We think of the Antichrist becoming, coming in in the very last time, the last dispensation, if you will, the tribulation. We think of that man, which is given to us in disclosing and unfolding him in Revelation and other passages, even Daniel, that he is the Antichrist. And when we think of the Antichrist, it's, it's like the opposite of Christ. And you think of the Gospels and you see him un, unfolded who Jesus was. I mean, he's full of love and grace and truth and was amazing. But let me, let me share with you, the Antichrist is not just the opposite, he's anything except Christ. That's what distractions are. 
the apostles as they're teaching and preaching the word, you know what? The distraction was intended from Satan again. Satan is such, he's a, he's a warrior. Don't, don't, misunder, don't underestimate his abilities. He's tried persecution from the outside. Remember as we studied through with the church unfolds and I mean, it's going big time. And right downtown Templedom, uh, the religious beasts didn't like it at all. And they brought a game. They locked the disciples up. They don't do what you ever preach in that man's name again, which was like, Turning and pouring gas on that guy. Can you imagine telling Peter, don't say that, Peter. Remember, he's a loudmouth anyway, right? You could, he, he had a, well, you get it. But now he's, he, now he's full of the Holy Spirit, right? You're not going to tell him something that God has told him to do. No way. Even last week in our passage, we saw that they locked him up again. Angel comes. Unlock, I don't get how they unlocked and nobody knows they left. I mean, that's pretty wild. There's a lot of miracle in that. But at any rate, what do they do? You know, most of us probably would say, we got out of it. Let's, let's, let's like hide. Let's like move over here. No, no. The angel says, now what I want you to do, since I've got you out of here, I want you to go right back to that temple and I want you to keep preaching about Jesus. Well, isn't that how we ended up inside here? That's the key. Just keep doing it. We had on our board last week persistence. They were persistent. And they kept preaching the message. Keep preaching the message. Persecution, actually, I'm surprised Satan still uses it. It's the most effective way of mission work taking, being effective. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. The more persecution you put on, the more people get saved. It works that way. It's perfect. And then we know from Ananias and Sapphira that God actually did some work on the inside. He purified the church. There were some problems. There was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is living a lie. They were living a lie. They, and it was actually innocuous from our, you know, it's, it almost puts a fear in us, which was the intention. Take your relationship with God very, very seriously. Don't lie to God. And they were lying to God, literally the Holy Spirit. Now, how stupid is that? It's like hiding from God. Have you ever tried hiding from God? I'm going to run away, right? Jonah, he's going to, how are you going to get away from God? He goes 900 miles in the opposite direction. And God says, watch this. <laughs> right? I have to say it. And he says to Elijah, remember Elijah? Now, that's a man of God. Don't misunderstand him. Him and Jonah are separate. Both, both men of God, but very different in their, in their tactics. Elijah, he does this magnificent job on Jezebel's henchmen, right? And then she comes home from vacation and says, Elijah, you're going to be just like them. And he freaks out. He loses it. Now he's tired. He's discouraged. He's in depression. And he takes off. Wow! Goes all the way. And God wasn't... Remember what God did? It's so good. Sometimes he treats us like this. So Elijah's running, you know, he's just all tired out. Finally, he's under a tree. And God says, why are you here? <laughs> well, because I'm the only one left. I'm the only prophet. He goes on this me self thing that's self filled with self deal. Remember last week and the week before we were talking about you're going to be spirit filled or you're going to be self filled. Self-filled is the problem, right? That's distractions, all the things that point away from God. And Elijah was having a little bit of self-filled moments, right? He was. It was all about me. It was about I. So he goes some more, you know, and then God says, what are you doing here? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't, that just a, isn't that such a great God? But you didn't run away from him, right? In fact, he ran right into him. That's what Jonah did. How about you're in the belly of a fish? Hmm. <laughs> How's this working? Right? I'll tell you what. It, God is miraculous in all his ways. And he's done it with you guys, too, in, in different ways. I know he has. I know he has because that's how your lives are. There's times in our lives that we're more self-filled than we are spirit-filled. We just are. And apart from Jesus Christ, we don't have a clue. 
You can't even disseminate truth from error. That's a Holy Spirit work that works in your heart. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. Well, this Word of God is spreading fast. He purified in the inside. So that, I would say that serpent approach, trying to infiltrate the church and and disseminate lies, letting lives live within the church body. God said, no, it's not going to happen on that. No, we're not going to go there. Well, here comes the next one. I mean, again, flourishing. It is flourishing. Remember, we have, uh, there's three aspects we've seen on the church. Unity, right? It was multiplying. And then it was magnifying. It was amazing how the outside would watch it from, they'd say, whoa, that is, this is, this is a work. In fact, Gamaliel, remember him? That was the leader. He was actually Saul's tutor, if you will. He was a man of class. And he said, guys, if this is of God, you're not going to fight this. Just let it play out. It probably doesn't have any future. And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't fight with God. It looks so magnanimous. They, they can't, they don't know what to do about it. Okay, now we're going to enter what we would call distractions. Now, let's paint the picture of who's in Jerusalem. Who is in Jerusalem after that Feast of Pentecost? And it happens regularly, but this time something changed. The power of God hit Jerusalem with a force. It's like being run over by a truck of God. The Mack truck of God ran over Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has taken over this town. Now, let's say that you were from an outer region, and you and your family traveled to the Feast of Pentecost, one of those feasts that you would have been required, quote-unquote required, to come and attend as being a good Jew. And you've come from, let's just say, Cilicia. You've come from, and it's a long ways, by the way. And you've, you've motored in, and uh, you've took place, and that morning, the morning of the Feast of Pentecost, something crazy was going down. To, there was like this huge wind. It sounded like a hurricane, which we on living in the uh, kind of around Sicily or Sicilia, you, you would know what that would be like, right? But there wasn't any water. There was, it was weird, but we, we went downtown. We just went down to see what was going on. And here's these guys speaking in languages that we knew, but we knew it wasn't going to be, I mean, God's not glorified in our language back in Sicilia. We have our own language of which, you know, when, but when we go talk about God, we go to our synagogue and we talk in, in Hebrew. That's how it works. These guys were talking in our home language and they were saying stuff about the wonderful works of God. I'm like, well, that blows me away. There's like 120 of them gathered in this room and they all had these little flames over their heads. It was weird, but we hung around. We wanted to hear more. And then this guy, Peter, gets up. I didn't, never saw him before, but Peter gets up and he gives a sermon. He talks about Jesus, that Jesus that we'd heard about, that he was a pretty good guy, but was, well, he was crucified. He got just too far ahead of himself, but he called him the Messiah. And he said, these Jews had killed him right on the side of these city walls. And he said that he was the Messiah. We being back in synagogue in Sicilia would have heard about a Messiah that was pre- predicted in the Old Testament. But the more he talked, the more it made sense. I mean, that's the one? That's the one that John the Baptist said? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? I mean, that, that was the one? I look at my wife. Now, I'm, this is, obviously, you know, this is, this, I'm making this up because it fits our narrative. And all of a sudden, my wife and look, I look at each other and we say, Jesus is God. He died for my sin, honey, and for yours. This is, this is what it meant when he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And we were torn on that day. And Peter said, repent, confess your sins and be baptized. And we did. And it was, our world changed. In fact, you know what would happen to that couple? They wouldn't go home. They didn't go back to Cecilia. Why not? This is where the church was at. They hadn't, I mean, this, this was their home right now. There's no other church. You don't get to go to a phone book. If, you know, as I've traveled over in the past, you know, I don't travel as much anymore. But I would look at a phone book and I'd say, where's the nearest, well, you know, Bible-believing church? You know, and you could look. You know, if you went to sit, where's the Bible-believing church? There ain't one. There ain't one. It's almost as bad as America. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not quite that bad yet. Yet. Because they're taking the power of the Bible away from me as well. They want to take it away from me. As long as that Bible is mine and it's in my possession, I have one page of it, I will declare it to the highest heavens. Because that's God's word. That's his power. That's being filled with the spirit. That's what we are to do. But they would have stayed. This would have been a place for the church to magnify and to multiply and literally to be astoundingly, remarkably expanded beyond what you could believe. So guess what's happening? You have a mixed group of people in the church. They're all one in Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of the church, the organism. That's the only living societal thing we have is God produced an instant organ. It's a living body. It's not the rest of a society where it's organization. This is an organism. It's living, breathing. You, when you leave this building, this is a building. You enter it and it's a living organism because Jesus Christ lives within you, which lives within the church. Isn't that fascinating? Fantastic. So if you get the idea, there's a whole lot of different culture. There's a whole lot of different stuff really literally going on in downtown Jerusalem. Aha. You're going to start to see a distraction. It'll make more sense to you now as we read this passage. Because it was like the Hebrews, when they says the word Hebrew, it would be those that were hometown Jews that had gotten saved. Okay? Do you see the dynamics here? It's amazing. So now if you're part of the church and you're a hometown Hebrew Jew that just got saved by Jesus, that we call a Messianic Jew today, that would have been the early Messianic Jews. But guess where you meet? Daily, you go, you go downtown to the temple, which is, you're not welcome there. <laughs> right? And then you have the out-of-town Jews who trusted Christ that are just in town now, what would be, let's say, I'm going to try to make this so that it fits. Let's say you travel to, pick your, pick your city, people. Just pick a city. Okay, you're not going to do it. Let's say Phoenix. You moved to Phoenix. You went to Phoenix to go to an event, a convention that was going to last a week. This convention changed your life. You found Jesus Christ. And you shared with your family on the phone, ah, we'll be home... You, you did what? You mean Jesus? Like Jesus, the guy that, you, you don't have a home. You just stay away. You just don't come home. That's, you're starting to pick it up now. Guess what? No home, no job, no money, right? That's kind of how it works. In fact, the no job, no home, no, it, it's, what are you going to do? That's why we have the church. Remember we talked about? Everything was in common. They were giving as needed. You don't have a home to go to. You don't have food on your table. Guess what? The Barnabases of the world, 
the true encouragers, the true Barnabases, they sold property and they gave it to the apostles and they unpacked it, shall we say, to everyone that had need. You're starting to get a picture of the church in Jerusalem. Now, there would be a little bit of the hometown bias, probably. Uh, this is our town. This is our church. We'd be a little more important than you folks from out of town. This is, can you see it? Of course you can, because what would they be? There's a little bit of self-filling going on. That happens regularly, doesn't it? It does at my house, too. It's amazing. Some of the rooms, maybe there's more self in them than others. I'm being facetious, but the point of the matter is, is we make a choice, don't we? Every single moment, are we spirit-filled or are we self-filled? Here's the problem. Now, the disciples, the apostles, let's call them, I, I like to keep it separate in this particular in this case. There are no apostles today living in the world. The apostles, as given in the scriptures, when they passed away from the originals, there are no more apostles. Those are literally, they saw, they walked with, they, they, they were in total, shall we say, living with Jesus. When they passed from the scene, there are no more apostles. But they're described here in two different lights anyway, disciples. So let's go to our text now, and let's go to chapter 6, and let's watch this unfold. Now, the apostles' job is what? Let's stop before you, before you go any further. What are the apostles supposed to be doing? Teaching, Teaching the Word, right? Teaching. Their job is what? Doctrine. Their, their, their job is to make sure that the church is following truth. Truth, first and foremost, at every level. Now, what would Satan want that to be? He don't want any of that. He don't want truth. He's the father of lies. John 8, 44. That's what Jesus said. You're of your father and the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. That's what he wants. He didn't want any truth. So he's going to do anything possible to distract them. Okay? So let's watch this distraction take place. In those days when the number of disciples, now that word is not the apostles, that's for a disciple or a learner, someone that's coming to church, someone that's coming to the home-to-homes, they have questions. Tell me more about Jesus. Tell me in the Old Testament, how does that fit together? You know, you said something, I don't understand that. See, that's the apostle's job, is unpacking the Old Testament, showing where Jesus is. That's where there's only one gospel. If anybody tells you there's more than one gospel, you run away. There is one gospel, and it's beginning in Genesis, and it's all the way to Revelation. It's the same one. It's the same Jesus. There's no way that you can take anything less than that. Did I sound dogmatic? The Bible is dogmatic about that. It was the Old Testament that proved Jesus was, in fact, the gospel, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's keep going now. They were multiplied. There arose, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. When it's going good, have you had your life going really, really good? And out of the blue, boom, from the side comes a problem. And it's big, and it's bold, and it's mean. And I don't have an answer. You know the kind of problems I'm talking about. Here's one here. A murmuring. Don't you love murmuring? That's called whining. Love it when children whine, don't they? I bet God loves it when we whine. No, he doesn't. In fact, if think of the 40, day, 40 years wandering through the desert with those Israelites, remember? There's a lot of whining going on. In fact, at some point, God said, enough, I don't, I don't want any more of it. Moses, I'm just going to make something. No, no, God. No, no. Remember what he said? That's speaking to his meekness. At that point, Moses could have said, remember the event? God said, I'm going to start over. I'm, I'm sick of these people. And when he came down the hill, right? Came off the mountain. 
They'd made this golden calf and they're worshiping a golden calf, the God that had taken them out of Egypt, and they want a golden calf. And then, of course, Aaron, Moses' brother, yeah, I don't know, I just put the stuff in there. It just came out just like that. Oh, please, right? And that's God says, enough already. Moses, I'm going to take you. Let's start over. Let's just, but you know what? Moses held God to his very word. He said, wait a minute. All those promises you made to Abraham and your God, you can't go back on your word. And of course, God knew that. But what it showed to everyone else was the meekness. That is power under control. Because if you would be the normal human being that was self-filled on that day, it's Boy, just think of that. Two million of these losers, I wouldn't have to lead along anymore. I could just start with me. We could start all over. I'm on with that one, right? Right? Moses said, no, God, you're God. We just keep going. We just keep going. That's the God of the story. This is the same God, too. It's the same God. Can can somebody pull me back into my rabbit trail? What were we talking about? There we go. That's how we got there. There's that murmuring going on, right? Those Israelites. We have the same kind of situation. Well, what's the murmuring about? Let's find out. There arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Oh, stop for a moment. Stop for a moment. Now, Laramie, if you could take, remember the map we had? It's kind of got all of those different countries, like, uh, I don't know, all of those. You know, the one. <laughs> it's got all different countries. Ah, ah, that's not the one, but that's nice, but it's, no, you don't have the one, Okay. Um, there's one that it had like, like Acts chapter one, we talked about, in fact, we go, but we'll look, we'll look through the scripture. Let's do that. Let's go to Acts chapter one and, and let's do this. He's going to, he'll come up with something. I know he will. Um, let's go to maybe it's chapter two, chapter two, and let, just verses eight, and nine, eight, nine, and 10. They're amazed by their being in their own tongue. Verse 8, how do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia. You get the idea, right? It's that whole wide world out there that the Jews had come in. Now, they're Jews from another country. Okay? Now, the Grecians, you could say in some of your, maybe in one of your versions, you might have Hellenistic Jew. Okay? Do you have that? And some of the versions would have. Now, Hellenistic would be Greek-speaking Jew. To the, role, to the world, since the Greeks had, had taken over, they had Hellenized it or made it Greek-speaking. They had made a lot of roads and they made a lot of... The Romans had perfected it, but literally it was a Greek-speaking society across the world. So you have Jews that had traveled in from the outside. Now again, if you went to a meeting or a synagogue or a religious event in Jerusalem, more than likely it might have been done either in Hebrew or Aramaic. That's the, that was the common language of the day was Aramaic. Jesus more than likely spoke words in Aramaic. Okay, But if you were from the outside coming in, you more than likely spoke a Greek or a Greek dialect. That's why it says the Grecians, those that were outside of Jerusalem, had a problem against the Hebrews, the in-town Jews. Why? Let's keep going. Back to your text. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Again, that would even be more complicated because if you were from out of town, your family would not have a, quote, home, job, or anything. So you would have been much more dependent upon the alms or the gifts coming from the church for your needs. Okay? This is legitimate, but from the apostles, this is coming from the outside. And what would be the suggested approach? 
Oh, boy. Boy, I've been busy. Uh, Peter says to John. John says to James, hey, buddy, how's your schedule look? We're going to have to walk. We're going to have to kind of man up these tables a little bit more. We're going to have to feed more people. We're going to have to maybe take care of the welfare department, you know, so they've got all of the necessary stuff they need. So uh, we're going to have to do this, guys. Uh, man, I'm tapped. I've been studying. I've been, I mean, I'm praying and, you know, studying God's word. It's, I don't know if I can fit that in. See the problem? Now, the apostles are the ones that are in charge, right? They're looking to them for spiritual guidance. They're leaders. But they're also seen as, they're the ones that are supposed to get this all done. Remember, who was that? That was Moses, wasn't it? When Jethro, remember his father-in-law? <laughs> his father, father-in-law's, that's what he said, actually. Pete said it exactly right. So he's watching this from a distance. I, I have a feeling that, that Jethro was just kind of watching Moses judging at the, at the city gate, you know, and he's watching this his son-in-law who's, and by the way, his son-in-law is very popular. Moses has done a fantastic job. He's got two million people following him around, right? Does that give you a headache? And they're whiners, too. Don't, don't miss that. They were murmuring back then, too. And Jethro's sitting there. What? A, he's killing himself. He can't do this. So he has this little meeting with Son-in-law, he says, Moses, you can't do this. You've got to get somebody to help you. You've got to get somebody to spread this risk out. And you know what? The more tired that Moses got, the less effective he was doing what it was he was thinking he was doing right. That sounded convoluted, but the point of the matter was he would, would have been exhausted beyond measure. And you know what he needed to do, Moses, was to get the revelation from God how to lead the group not the guy that mowed the lawn next to the neighbor that cut the cat's tail off. And he doesn't worry about that stuff. I don't know where that came from, but he just made it up. <laughs> but the point of the matter is, is, do you see what would be happening is displacement of truth for the menial daily requirements that are not any less, you know, to that guy who ran over the cat, that's a big deal. How about that Grecian widow that didn't get enough to eat yesterday? You think it's a big deal? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is a problem. Does it need to be dealt with? Yes, it does. But if we take away from God's word, and I'm talking back to church or to Moses for that matter, the less minutes he spent with God was a minute he couldn't afford to talk about anything else. These apostles needed to be head on every minute of every day, studying God's word, driving the prayer, getting God's will into the camp, into that church. They needed help. Satan would have preferred for the 12 guys to put on their aprons. Now, again, I'm not minimizing or menializing anything of what's taking place in the problem. These people needed attention. But to take it away from those that are responsible for the teaching would have been the worst thing that could have happened. We would have had good food, but we wouldn't have gotten any word. That's the word actually is used. They had a choice. Either going to serve food or serve the word. Now, you and I both know which one would have, the church would have won anything. It would have been extinct. We'd have food, fed food until it's gone and it's over because there's no word being served. That's, that's my job here for you. My job is to serve you the word. Satan loves to send distractions. He wants me not to spend time in the word. He wants me not to spend time in prayer. He wants me not to be focused on bringing a message to you. Because when he does that, he wins. The disciples saw that. In fact, look at how they answered. It's fantastic. They're tuned in. Chapter 6, Acts. 
Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples, the learners, the group, the congregation unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. If we're going to have the choice between serving the Word and serving tables, this is easy for us. So, here's the solution, wherefore, brethren, verse 3, look out among you. You guys go out amongst yourselves. Now, this would have to be, I would have to believe, 40,000? It's a big group of people. The multiplication is amazing what's taking place. And I'm talking men, women, women, and children. They are saying, you find me, us, the apostles are saying, you go out in yourselves and you find seven men. I, we want seven men we can appoint to do this job, to administrate this duty. Did you see the apostles didn't pick them? Did you see that? It's not there. Who did they tell to do it? The group, the congregation, the church. You go out and you find seven men. Now, they did give qualifications. You look for seven men of you of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We want seven men that we can count on, integrity, character-wise. They look good to the community. They are righteous. They are full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. You bring us seven of those guys, and we'll help make this problem go away. We're going to take a distraction and turn it into a platform. Because guess who was one of those seven? His name was Stephen. Stephen was from out of town as well. In fact, uh, let's keep moving. Let's keep going. So, <laughs> but we will. Now, this, this is the point I was going, verse 4. But we, back to the apostles, we will give ourselves, we will be devoted continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's really, really good, isn't it? What God gives you to do, just keep on doing it. The problem, the distraction, actually, we're going to have a platform to go to another level. What did the congregation think? Hmm. The saying, please the whole multitude, which means they're in unity. Church is functioning fine. And it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You know what the common denominator of every one of those names is? And you say, I have no idea. Every single one of those would have been a Greek name. So now there's, a, there's something here that's important. Those that have the most at stake are usually the best to serve in that arena. Is that not true? I can't tell you. I was, I was visiting yesterday. Should I even bring this in? No, I probably won't. I'll just leave it generic. But it's, it's difficult for... No, I'll, I'll do it. I've done it before. I've, this is, so I, I'm in ranching. That's another aspect that God has brought me into. And my level of witnessing to people that see me engaged in an arena that isn't just as a pastor, it's amazing how much more open they are. If you drop into a seat in a plane and you say that you announce that you're a pastor, it's amazing how quiet it does get. <laughs> but if you say you're a rancher, that's not a big deal. We'll talk, right? But the God's Word doesn't, right? It's, it can go right there. But at any rate, let's get off that. So the most frustrating conversations for me are if I'm, if I'm going to a job as a custom combiner, a custom chopper, a custom farmer, and I've got an, an an absentee-owned property that I have a consultant of which I'm doing the conversing with, the most frustrating for me thing for me to do is to talk to that person that does not have a clue about what needs to be done. 
He has no vested interest. He, he's, he's just taking a wage and knows nothing about what I'm talking about. Ah, I want to pull my hair out. I think this is interesting. Of these seven guys that are selected by the congregation of which the apostles, it says later, they actually put their hands on. They laid their hands on, which means there's solidarity and there's approval. We are with you seven guys in this job, in this ministration. You you can know that we're here behind you working with you. What would be more fitting than where the problem started to have now again, politically, if we would be, what should we say, politically correct? Now, this is how they do this. Let's see now. Seven is a good number because it's, you know, it's, you can't finish in a tie. And it actually is much more Jewish than that in nature. The seven is a really big deal in the councils and a lot of things. But wouldn't it have been more appropriate since we're in Jerusalem to have four Hebrew-speaking Jews and three Greek-speaking Jews? That would be so much more politically correct. No. They went to the congregation. Did you find a seven qualified men? Doesn't matter what their nationality is, if you want, if you will. You bring them. They're full of the spirit. They're full of wisdom, and we can count on their reputation. That's who we want. As it works out, God brings seven of those men that are all Greek speaking, if you will, out of town. And the apostles said, "Oh, that's going to look bad. We probably shouldn't." No, no. See, that's what's really cool. You do it God's way, and it works. What would have happened if you had four and three? Well, they'd probably been fighting all day long on this stupid board they just started, right? No. And we get what? It works beautifully because we find that continue to multiply, continue to be magnified, continue to be unified. The church keeps going. Distraction solved. That's what I like about distractions. Distractions, to me, I hate because they take my game off of where it needs to be. I hate distractions. What does that mean? That means distractions are pretty effective from Satan's world because I'm spending time thinking about them. Did you just see what the apostles did? Man, spending time thinking about it. They said, no, we, we know that's a problem. You guys find seven good guys and we're going to just keep on preaching and praying so that you guys keep getting fed the word. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. Fantastic. And guess what? We're introduced to a man by the name of Stephen. I mean, how would you like to have picked those seven guys? Thousand. Can you imagine that process? It doesn't tell us who was all involved in that, but basically these seven, I think, just stuck out. These guys were amazing. You know, they didn't even get out of the building. Stephen's got to be one of them. That guy is amazing. I mean, he he can preach the word. He's got abilities. He's got, and, and, he's, and he's a good guy. He's, he's full of the spirit. You know, when you hear this, did you see what is described for him as full? I can find my glass. Here we go. Look at this. He's full of what? I've been described as being full of things, but this is full of the Holy Ghost. Full of faith, verse 5, of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 8. He's full of faith and power. Look at all the stuff he's full of. Let's write it down. This is amazing. How would you like to be described this way? Full of what? Holy Spirit. What else? Grace. He actually is. Faith. Power. Where did that come from? From the Holy Spirit. What else? There's one more, isn't there? Full of faith. Wisdom, right? Smash that one in here. 
Those are all great terms. But when I use the word full of, what does that mean? What, what do you mean full of? Full of what? Full. Full of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Full. Think of it this way. To be controlled by. To be dominated by. Think of that again. Remember our, several weeks ago we had spirit-filled, self-filled, self-dominated, spirit-dominated. You know where most of my distractions come from? The spirit, I'm sorry, the self-filled problems, right? I've got stuff right now that I've got, I've got to get rid of these distractions. They're messing up me. They're messing up this church. I've got to make these distractions solved. It's got to be beyond me. I've got to make sure and pay attention to the Word of God and prayer. That's my job to you. That's my job that God has given to me for you. Anything that is apart from that is wrong for me to do. Distractions must go away. I love how they did this. It's perfect. Now, this is a man that's described as being dominated by the Spirit. I want to know this guy. Don't you want to know this guy? I want to know this guy. He's so full of faith. What do you mean full of faith? He believes God for what he said he was going to do. There's no question about who he's at, where he's at. You couldn't, you couldn't scare this guy for anything. Put him in jail, you'll see where he ends up, right? The guy's amazing, and he's one of the seven. Now, there's other names here, too, as well. There's actually one that's a proselyte from Antioch. They were set before the apostles. They laid, they, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Again, a sense of solidarity, a sense of approval, a sense of we're together. And look at the word of God increased. Of course it would. Of course it would. And the number of the disciples, the learners, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests. Whoa, stop. Did you see this? Listen to this. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. What? Are you kidding me? Guess where we would be? Remember? Oh, learn me one more time the temple. I love that one. Put that one back up there if you don't mind. It'll come. So think of this for a moment. Talk about a captive audience. It's like Paul being chained to the household of Caesar, right? I mean, oh man, I got to be around that Paul. <laughs> I'm going to chain me that guy again. I mean, the guy just talks about Jesus all day long. It's just, oh, right? It'd be almost the same way. Guess who's meeting down here in this corner? Well, guess who's doing business in this whole arena? Are the priests, the temple priests. They got jobs to do. In fact, you're, if, you're on, if you're a Levite, you have a job. You have to show up, and you've got orders and things to do. I don't know if you just got magnified by that right there, but I did. I got pumped up because you know what? Those guys that are just having to be there in that place have listened and heard enough and watched the, magnif I mean, the multiple explosion of this church, and they said, you know what? That's got to be a work of God. I want to end on that. Isn't that fantastic? I think that is so good. The priests literally were following the, after the, in the church. Let's keep going. And Stephen, we're going to pick on this guy, which described this to us briefly in verse 5. It says, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, we've talked about this at the beginning. They did not have, if you were going to bring your Bible to the prayer meeting, how much of it would you have? Just the Old Testament. The New Testament, they would not have had any of it. You couldn't go and see how Jesus was walking through three years previous. That was not written down. There was none of that. We are, can you imagine how blessed we are? You have the Gospels. You have this bridge work. You have the epistles of Paul, who was Saul. In fact, he's a lot Saul right now. We're going to be introduced to him in just a second. And here's this man, Stephen. And he's doing miracles. 
Mighty works. Why? Why would, why would that be necessary? Again, to approve, to signify, to verify that what he's saying is true. God used miracles, particularly in the beginning of each dispensation or time frame, to prove that what's being said is true. Okay? That's who Stephen is. Now, you don't know a lot about Stephen except for that he's from out of town. His name is Greek. He's, he has a Greek name. So where do you think, where do you think Stephen's going to hang out? To, now, now, the apostles are doing their business right here in, in Jerusalem, in the temple. But if you were from out of town and you really were much more versed in another language, such as Greek, where would you hang out? What would be your mission field? Now, again, keeping in mind that when Jerusalem, you're seeing, well, what, do you, what do you mean? We're in Jerusalem. Well, keep in mind, this isn't just an annual event. I'm sorry, this is an annual event for people coming from out of town that speak other languages. In fact, it's thought through histor- historians that up to 500 synagogues were scattered across the city of Jerusalem. That's, I'm not talking about the temple. I'm talking about synagogues. These are places of worship. 500. In fact, we're going to be introduced to several of them probably right now. And he, being from an out-of-town Grecian-speaking Jew, Stephen, he's more than likely going to find himself in a, not the temple, but probably in a synagogue where people that he can affiliate with, right? Tell them about Jesus. Let's keep reading. There arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, or you may have freed men. I don't know you, which version you're reading from today, but uh, freed men or Libertines. Now, let's talk about those. So this is actually a different synagogue. It's made up of people that are of a similar persuasion, if you will. In 63 BC, uh, Pompey, which would have been a Roman officer, he drug off from the the, the nation Israel, he would have taken a lot of people, taken them and sold them as slaves in 63 B.C. So that's about 100 years before. Now, through the course of interaction and who knows what, many of those were able to either purchase their freedom, somehow got out of it, return back to their homeland, and guess what would be a solidarity? It only takes 10 to start a synagogue. Those 10 probably came from the same camp and said, oh my goodness, you, you know what you went through. They don't have any idea. I mean, we were, we were slaves. What would be wrong with having the synagogue of the freed slaves? That's literally what this is right here. That's what this is. These were these libertines, the ones that had really been freed from slavery of which Pompey had su- suggested or solicited them to. And it, there's a sense of unison within the very thought process of our family backgrounds, right? Those families would have been able to, to maneuver with that, okay? But it's not just them. There's those from that group of the Libertines, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians. Now, that would actually be an, been Alexandria, the, Alexander the Great. That more than likely would have been a synagogue that would have been back in the capital city of where he was at. And then it says, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, it seems as such he would have went to the synagogue. And I'm sure he wasn't the invited seminar speaker for the weekend, but at some point would have been engaged in a debate with someone that, so, so you're one of those Jesus people? Because now what would have probably happened was his name being one of the seven men that were actually in the sense of serving. Or, now, some have called these deacons. They are not deacons yet. They are just servants. They're servers. This is a capacity, a category that if you go to Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy, you'll actually find that the capacity in which Stephen and these other six men served became deacons. That, that was, in fact, 
an order that was derived out of this serving the people. That's how it started, but these were not deacons. But what would have happened, these seven would have been a bit more known around the community. They would have been known because they were responsible for meeting the needs of the widows, particularly sorting that out. But Stephen would have been someone he would have been to identify. So he went to the synagogue, and there's probably numbers of these. Probably wasn't just one. Because you named several different communities of people, and each one of those potentially would have their own synagogue place of worship. But he's there, and he's having a dialogue. He's having a debate with those more than likely around the Old Testament. Because if you're in a synagogue in Jerusalem, guess what you're talking about? You're talking about the Old Testament. You're talking about Moses. You're talking about all of those Old, time, those Old Testament figures. And it appears that no one could ever outdo him on seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. He brought it out, and they couldn't silence him. And they finally just lose their mind. It's no longer about a debate. It's about, let's silence this guy. Let's make this guy go away. So what do they do? The very same thing they did to Jesus. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men. In other words, they hired somebody to lie, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came, and came on, upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Now you see, there's a very two distinct places. He was not in the council when this took place. He was more than likely just in a synagogue of the Libertines and potentially others of which he was speaking about Jesus in a Greek language. And all of a sudden they say, we can't handle this guy. Let's make it a big problem. So let's get the chief priests involved. Let's get the religious leaders involved. Let's make it. And how do you do that? What would be the worst thing you could say about anybody in Jerusalem? I don't care who you are. You want to get somebody in trouble? Yeah, he said some really bad stuff about Moses. That'll get it. That'll bring it. All of a sudden, they're front and center. So here's this man, Stephen, that's drug into the Sanhedrin. It almost sounds like this is Jesus, isn't it? They want to put this guy away. Now, if you were going to go forward, we're going to have a whole chapter next week that we're going to start in. But remember, where did you first see Paul? He's not Paul then. He's Saul. Remember the S-A-U-L, the guy that was... He woke up in the morning, ate his Captain Crunch, and is going to go out and kill Christians. He hated Christians. And it actually says, in fact, we should, maybe we'll find that for a minute. Let's, let's, because this is the first time you see him in chapter, um, maybe it's chapter 8, chapter 7. We'll find it real quickly. Where does it say it? There, verse 58. Acts 7, 58. Now, this is deep in the continent. They're, they're stoning him now, Stephen. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, Saul turns into Paul that wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and you name it. And he's the one that God used to literally minister to the Gentiles. Now, how did he get involved in all of this is the stoning of Stephen. This is the bridge work that literally now, because of his martyrdom, because of his literally being persecuted to the point of taking his life, the persecution explodes, and literally, you know what happens? Jerusalem no longer is the epicenter of the gospel. 
it is just where it was because it scatters to Samaria. In fact, Philip, that's another name of those seven. Philip you're going to find here in another chapter just pretty quickly, and he's going to be meeting someone in Samaria. You're going to start to see this whole gospel be worldwide, and Stephen's the one that did it. And it says the first time you see Saul is he was, he was the coat guy. He would, they were checking their coats with him, and he was all about this. He wanted Stephen dead as a doornail. And you know why I think it is? What do you know about Saul's background geographically? He was from Paul of Tarsus. Do you know what the principal city of Sicilia is? Tarsus. Where did we meet Stephen? He was in the synagogue of the Libertines. Let's keep reading. I believe that Paul listened to Stephen in his own language tell him about Jesus. Let's go to chapter 6 and read this. Verse 9, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia, of which Tarsus is the major city. No doubt Paul was in town. This would have been the synagogue that he would have attended. He's not going to go to the temple. He's a Greek-speaking Pharisee that's from Rome. He's a Roman citizen. I'm convinced that Stephen's the one that turned the lights on to Paul, Saul originally and saying, you need to know Jesus. And Paul, wouldn't you like to see the debate between Stephen and Paul? But Paul didn't have the Holy Spirit then, did he? Who had the Holy Spirit? Stephen. Stephen won that debate big time. And he was filled with so much hatred. Paul, I keep calling him Paul because that's who he is to us. But Saul, he was just seething, wanting to take Christians out. That's where he was inoculated, was right there. Amazing, isn't it? And how God brought that. No, think of your own life's journey. I mean, this is, everyone has an individual life journey. Some of you were saved early. I was saved at five years old, five or six. It was, my mother just... We were swinging in the swing set. I don't know how we got there, but swing sets are what you swing in, right? So we're there, and, and I don't know what she said, but somehow she brought my attention to the fact that I was a sinner. And I, and I was convicted of my sin on that day. I, I, I couldn't do anything about it. I knew it. So what do you do? I ran away. I ran up upstairs in my, in my bedroom, and I pulled the covers over my head. I don't know what that was supposed to do, but I still couldn't get away from it. But in that quiet moment, I said, Jesus Christ, I... Only you can save me. I can't. That's what my mother just told me. I, I'm, you know, that, was, that, was, that was the day of salvation for me. Now, there's other of you that probably you've lived a long life. And it was later in your life when you found Christ, when Christ found you. Literally, that's the way it is. The Holy Spirit works on your heart and opens up. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But you think about where you were and where you are. You think about what God has done for and to you I'll tell you what, no one is probably on a grander scale than Saul, who turned into Paul. Saul, on this event right here around Stephen's death, his stoning, he would have been so livid, so angry, so against Jesus, so against everything that the Christian church was about. And then to see, not very long after, he met the real Jesus on the road. (laughs) But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, of grace, of faith, and of power, literally unpacked that message, I believe, in a synagogue of which he attended on that day, and he hated him for it. And he was the one, literally, that Stephen was used of to take him to preach to the Gentiles. Now, that's a God, a 
God's sovereignty. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how this stuff just all fits together? Amazing. But the key is, for us, one of the messages we have to ask ourselves, what are we full of? Or let's say it another way. See, we have always, we've come used to that. Um, he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me say it the way it should be me. What we really should mean is, who are you dominated by? Who drives you? Or what drives you? I've got to say the what, because there's a lot of stuff out there. It's not just the opposite of Christ. It's anything other than Christ. And that, that's really true, isn't it? For all of us. What dominates us? What set Stephen apart? He was filled with the Holy Ghost. He yielded himself to the Holy Ghost so that he was never not full. <laughs> that works for me. He was never not full. He was so immersed, so engaged, he was always full of the Holy Ghost. He was always about God's business, no matter where he was at, whatever he's doing. Paul, now he was a tent maker, right? That's how he made his living. He didn't want to encroach in anybody else's income. He by day, made tents. I would have wanted to buy one of Paul's tents, too. They would have been top-notch, top quality, right? Because that's who he was. He was a, he, you could tell, he was a perfectionist. He, he wanted it the best. I wanted one of his tents. But you know the other thing I would want to know, though? As he's making that, he's sharing with those that are, you know, have you ever heard about Jesus? You can just see him more, can't you? And the worst thing you could have possibly been is if you, were, if you finally put him in jail and you're going to try to incarcerate him and get him away from the people... Well, you got to have people around him. Oh, i got to meet with Paul again. Oh, my goodness. The guy never shuts up about Jesus, right? Think of what he got done, though. And you know what? This Stephen, who had a very short, it looks like his career was very, very short, became a Christian. You know, obviously during this Pentecost, during this movement, he's appointed into a place of deaconship, not a deacon, keep that in mind, but it's a point of service. And literally, he was stoned almost immediately thereafter. But he was key component in the gospel exploding through the world, not Jerusalem, the world now. And the one that probably was as influential in anywhere of making him go away was the man that Stephen's bridge work allowed to bridge. You're, you're here today. You people are here today saved because of what Paul did. Paul's work to the Gentile communities. Somewhere in there, Paul is in your life. And Stephen was in Paul's life. And you don't think there's a God. Someone that tells me there's not a God hasn't studied very much. I'm blown away by nature. But I'm also blown away by how people's lives are integrated and how God has brought people at the perfect time to produce the results that allow us to see him even more clearly. There is a God. And he's in charge. He's in control, even though right now it doesn't look like it. It is being utilized to make himself even more glorified. The darker it is, the darker the politics are, the darker the events are, the darker society gets, guess what? Jesus shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. As we introduce Jesus. Now, there's a, the thing that is different for us today, though, is, is our young generation. These kids growing up. And now they're of college age. A lot of them don't even know who Jesus is, let alone what he's done. God help us. 
the message still needs to... See, we're, we're no less. The baton has been passed to us. That same one that Jesus passed to the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <laughs> if, if you don't have the baton, you dropped it. Pick the bad boy up and let's run with it, right? We are to be his witnesses. Now, it's not just words. Let me be very clear on that. Did you see the first thing that they wanted, the, that the apostles said of these seven men, is they wanted to be of good reputation. Our lives must exemplify the very things that would, that would give us to be full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of power, full of truth, full of faith. Then the message is heard. Isn't that true? They're not going to hear it until they know how much you care. Don't tell me about Jesus until I see it in you. Wasn't it Gandhi that said, you know, the, 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 the biggest drawback of Christians are Christians. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But what are you dominated by? What drives your world? How many people potentially do you run into that literally God will change from the life you live if you're dominated by, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? That should be playing in our world all the time. That should never go away. We should never get tired of that, being filled, being yielded to the Spirit. I would have liked to have met Stephen. But I have to say the ones that still, and you take a step back from that, the disciples, I need to call them what they are, apostles. The apostles made an absolutely fabulous decision by saying, you know what? We cannot do it all. We cannot do what the problem requires. We need more help. We need someone from the outside that you pick, congregation, and we will approve of them. They will do it. We're going to stay on what's meat and potatoes. We're going to stay right on the middle and the, the mainstay of what makes the church go, and that is truth, preaching the truth, and praying. They're the ones that set Stephen up in, the, in position, honestly. They allowed him to come to be used by God. Think of that for a moment. So that distraction, that problem literally turned into, as I've said, a platform for God to even go to another level. It's so good. This chapter is so, and we miss some of the stuff that's so apparent, but we want to just tie on to just the martyrdom of Stephen. It's bigger than that. It's people making the right decision because they're full of the Holy Spirit, just like you. When you yield to the Spirit this week, something good will happen. Because that's where I want to be. I want to be in the middle of God's Spirit working. That's where we want to be. So, go get them. (laughs) Be dominated. Be filled with the Spirit, with wisdom. Trust Him. No matter what. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day, a day that you've made, a day that we can be rejoicing in. Father, help us with our problems, with our decisions, our distractions, that we would turn them over to you, allowing you to handle them. You're capable, you're able. Thank you for Stephen. We'll be looking at him even next week and much more profoundly. But here's the first martyr that literally, Father, you used for the church to explode worldwide. The people that were at his stoning, literally many of those were changed. One in particular was Saul. 
to see the transformation from a a young man that's there, literally the coats of those that were stoning Stephen himself. Paul was, and he was right in the middle of a yes vote to kill Stephen, to silence him, to silence that voice that was saying that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. That same man, same DNA, the Holy Spirit got a hold of. That same man, Saul, became Paul when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. There was nothing that Paul wouldn't go do for Jesus after that. Change life. Thank you for Stephen. Thank you for him being full of faith, trusting the Lord God in every aspect of his life. Father, our life's journeys sometimes seems to be just hard for us to even move along. The Christian life is not easy. It's difficult. Father, I ask that for each and every one of us that are here today, that we would reach out to you as you take each one of our steps and align them so that we look more like Jesus. Father, our world we find ourselves living in needs Jesus more than ever. May our voices be loud, our lives be louder, so that we are not a distraction to the gospel, but literally a direct line in lining people up with the word of God, so that faith may come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, you know how to use us the best. You're the one that has gifted us. You're the one that has given us life. You're the one that has given us Jesus Christ as our Savior. It is to you, Father, we look for our future. One day, as you will call us home, but before then, may we be about the business of the work of the kingdom that Jesus laid out for his disciples. Do it how you need to do it, Father, so that you're glorified. In Jesus' name.